Hello and welcome back to the Fall of the Roman Empire. My name is Nick Holmes and this is episode 39 called Usurpers and Arians. In the last episode, we heard about the disastrous Roman defeat at the Battle of Adrianople in 378, which resulted in the creation of a strong Gothic state within the empire's territories in the area south of the Danube. But the empire's problems didn't end there. In the east, the Sasanian Persians were still dominant after the failure of Julian's great eastern offensive. And there was almost continual pressure from the Germanic tribes along the Rhine frontier. Now, with all of these external problems, you might think the last thing the Romans wanted was to add a few internal problems like civil wars and bitter theological disputes. Think again, because that's exactly what the Romans did in the crucial two decades after the Battle of Adrianople, just at the time when they most needed to get their act together to save the empire. And the majority of these two decades were in the reign of Theodosius the Great. And we'll come back later to the question of whether his reign was actually so great, when there were not just one, but two major civil wars, both of which have been underestimated, in my view, as important causes of Rome's decline and fall. And in addition, there was a major bust-up, both within the church and between the church and the emperors, essentially about the doctrine of Arianism, which we'll get to a bit later on. And this bust-up was led by a man who would become central to the future development of the Catholic Church, and he was called Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan. Now, turning to the civil wars, the first of these began very soon after Theodosius had secured his peace treaty with the Goths in 382. The direct cause was dissatisfaction with the Western Emperor Gratian. And this has always struck me as a little bit surprising. The reason cited by our few surviving sources, and I have to jump in and say with great regret that, by the way, my favourite source on 4th century Roman history, Ammianus Marcellinus, who I know I've quoted perhaps a little bit too much in this podcast, finished his history in 378 with the Battle of Adrianople. Historians think he actually lived on until the 390s, but for some reason he decided not to write about Theodosius's reign, which is a great shame because I think he stands head and shoulders above the other sources, not least because most of them are incomplete, unfortunately, and we only have fragments that have survived over the last near 2,000 years. And the most significant historian we have now for this period from 378 until the fall of Rome itself in 410, is a Greek historian called Zosimus, who actually lived in Constantinople a hundred years later, around AD 500, and was a bit surprisingly also a pagan. And since, unlike Ammianus, he didn't actually live through the times he recorded, he seems to have put together his history from the works of other contemporary writers whose works have unfortunately been lost over the centuries. So suffice to say, we're very lucky that Zosimus's works have survived. Otherwise, our knowledge of the fall of the Roman Empire would be even more rudimentary than it is. So back to the reasons for the dissatisfaction with Gratian. Zosimus says that the reason was he favoured his bodyguard of Alan tribesmen over the regular Roman soldiers. You might remember that the Alans were a slightly unusual barbarian group in that historians think they were of Iranian origin and had spread westwards to mix with Germanic tribes, 
Rather confusingly, Ammianus describes them as tall and blonde like the Germans, which certainly doesn't fit with his description of the Persians as being dark and quite small, something which he says the Emperor Julian frequently cited as a reason why the tall Gallic legionaries should be able to triumph over them. But the one thing that all our sources agree on is that the Alans were particularly good horse archers and Gratian's close friendship with them seems to have started because his great passion was hunting and he simply enjoyed hunting wild animals with them. But these Alans became intensely disliked by the regular Roman troops as well as by the Germanic auxiliaries since Gratian had a habit of giving them very generous presents and apparently he even liked dressing up in their clothes. Now, to come back to why I think all of this sounds a bit strange, it doesn't seem to explain why a reasonably capable emperor up until 382 suddenly becomes a standing joke. For example, you remember Valens was so jealous of Gratian's success against the Alemanni that he rushed to fight the disastrous Battle of Adrianople without him to score his own victory. The great historian on the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon, suggests that Gratian had in fact always been incompetent, but he managed to cover it up through the good advice of his counsellors and generals, who deserted him for some unknown reason at this point. And I think that sounds pretty plausible, but I don't think, to be honest, we'll ever really know what was going on with Gratian, but suffice to say that for whatever reason he clearly did lose the confidence of his troops who appointed a very popular general in Britain called Magnus Maximus as emperor in early 383. Now, Maximus was based in Britain, as I mentioned, and he'd had an impeccable military career. He'd served under the Emperor Theodosius's father, who you'll remember was the very capable general also called Theodosius, who'd helped out Valentinian I in subjugating revolts in Britain and North Africa. Maximus was declared emperor in Britain in early 383 and crossed over to Gaul, where Gratian gathered what troops were still loyal to him, and not many were, and advanced to meet him in battle near to Paris. But Gratian's troops were not, in fact, very loyal at all, and nearly all of them went over to Maximus and Gratian fled to Lugdunum, which is modern Lyon, where he was caught and killed. Now, all of this sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? It's very similar to the rebellion of Magnentius, if you remember that in episode 29, which was another revolt that began again in Britain and ended up being put down by Constantius in 353. But with Maximus, it took a little while longer for a proper civil war to develop. Indeed, over in Constantinople, initially Theodosius was conciliatory towards Maximus, although Zosimus says he was, quote, at the same time privately preparing for war and endeavouring to deceive Maximus by every type of flattery, end quote. Theodosius's problem in 383 was that he was busy with yet another Persian war on his eastern front, this time with Shapur II's successor, his son Shapur III, and there was really very little he could do about opposing Maximus at that moment. 
Indeed, I do wonder whether Theodosius would have been better off accepting Maximus and trying to work with him. You would have thought that his view of Maximus would have been softened by the fact that he'd been a loyal officer of his father's and had served in most of his campaigns in Britain and North Africa. And he was also a very capable general, which was exactly what the Roman Empire needed at this point. But Theodosius wasn't having any of that. The real sticking point seems to have been dynastic in the sense that Maximus was a usurper and had murdered Gratian, who was the legitimate emperor. And to be fair, Gratian had, of course, elevated Theodosius to the rank of emperor in the first place after Valens was killed at Adrianople. So it's true that Theodosius owed him a big debt and probably thought if Maximus could kill Gratian, where would he stop? It'll be me next. But the person who was actually much more directly in Maximus's line of fire than Theodosius was Valentinian II, who was the third reigning emperor at this time in control of Italy. Now, you might well ask, sorry, who was Valentinian II again? And why haven't we heard more about him? Well, the answer is that no one had actually paid much attention to him because he was only a child. In 383, when Maximus killed Gratian, Valentinian II was only 12 years old. And before his death, Gratian had in fact basically ignored his younger brother and ruled as the sole ruler of the Western Empire. But now things were going to change, although not really because of the 12-year-old Valentinian, but because of his mum, Justina. Now, Justina, who had been Valentinian I's second wife, was a force to be reckoned with. She was apparently devastatingly good-looking, distantly related to Constantine the Great, and she certainly wasn't going to be messed about with by a general called Maximus. So when Maximus murdered Gratian, she immediately sent the Italian legions to block the Alpine passes and to make sure that Maximus couldn't advance into Italy. With Theodosius's support, it was agreed that the empire should be ruled in a tripartite fashion. So Valentinian II and Justina remained in control of Italy and were based in Milan. Maximus ruled the rest of the Western Empire, including North Africa, from Trier on the German frontier. And Theodosius ruled the east from Constantinople. And for four years, this worked pretty well. And there was peace between the three emperors. But Justina and Valentinian had another problem aside from Maximus, which was that they were Arians. And no, I don't mean they were tall and blonde, not Arian in any racial sense, but in a religious sense. For something that I haven't mentioned so far is that the 4th century Roman Empire was torn asunder by a bitter theological dispute between the Arians and the non-Arians. So I think now is a good time to cover this subject, and I will keep it as brief and focused as possible, since I don't think anyone really wants to get bogged down in the esoteric niceties of a theological dispute. So let's try to nail this one as simply as possible. Let's start by going back in time to the Council of Nicaea in AD 325, which we covered in episode 24, when the Emperor Constantine convened the first great council of the Christian Church to sort out one agreed version of what Christian belief and ritual was all about. 
And Constantine and the bishops did a pretty good job of doing this. They agreed on things like one statement of faith, a date for the celebration of the key Christian festival, which was in fact at that time Easter and not Christmas as it is really today in most countries, and also how the church was to be organised and run. But there was one point of disagreement, and this was over whether Christ and God were one and the same thing, or whether Christ was the Son of God and therefore subordinate to God. Now, a bishop called Arius, after whom the Arians are named, said that since Christ was obviously the Son of God, he couldn't have coexisted with God forever, so he must be subordinate. Now, a lot of bishops thought this was pretty reasonable, but not all of them. And the majority, in fact, said that he'd always existed and was co-eternal with God. And at Nicaea, it was decided that this version was correct. And this became known as the Nicene Creed, which still is the foundation of the modern Catholic Church. But the problem back in the 4th century was that Arius had a lot of supporters, and Constantine was, quite frankly, in my view, not very interested in this question and just agreed with the last bishop he spoke to. So at Nicaea, since the majority of bishops were non-Arians, Constantine exiled Arius, but just before his own death, he was baptised by his favourite bishop called Eusebius of Nicomedia, who, guess what, happened to be an Arian, as were many of the bishops in the Eastern Roman Empire. So Constantine caused quite a problem because he ended up being semi-Arian. And as I mentioned, in the Eastern Roman Empire, Arianism was very popular. And his son, Constantius II, as well as the ill-fated Valens, were both Arians. Now, both Valentinian II and his mother, Justina, were also Arians. But in the West, they were in a minority because most Christians in Italy were not Arians. And to make matters worse, the non-Arians were being championed by a very charismatic new bishop who I mentioned earlier called Ambrose, who was the Bishop of Milan. Now, matters came to a head between Ambrose and Justina when he refused to allow Arians to worship in any of the churches in Milan. And this was supported by the majority of Christians in the city. But of course, it was a direct attack on Justina and her son Valentinian. What happened was that Justina demanded that two churches in the Milan diocese be handed over to the Arians, one inside the city and one just outside. But Ambrose not only refused, he went to the church in the city which she'd requested, which was called the Basilica of the Apostles, and he barricaded himself in. Justina sent troops to evict him, but they backed off without a fight, and Ambrose won the day, the first time in history that a Christian bishop had stood up to a member of the imperial family and won. And as we'll see, this victory set a precedent for the future disputes between church and state, not only in the Roman Empire, but also for the next thousand years in Europe. What it also did was to give Maximus, who wasn't an Arian and who was therefore a follower of Ambrose, another pretext to invade Italy. 
and in 387 he crossed the Alps with his army and entered the Po Valley. Justina and Valentinian were forced to flee to Thessalonica. There, Justina appealed to Theodosius for help against Maximus. And according to Zosimus, she cleverly arranged for Theodosius to meet her sister, Galla, who, like Justina, was exceptionally beautiful. Again, according to Zosimus, Theodosius instantly fell in love with her and promised to fight Maximus. But I think a more likely explanation is that Theodosius was in fact already planning an offensive against Maximus in 387. And the real reason that he was able to do this now was that he'd just concluded a fairly humiliating treaty with Shapur III, agreeing that the Sasanians could take effective control of Armenia. And the marriage with Galla, although it did happen, just enabled him to cement his alliance with Valentinian and Justina. So Theodosius was quick to strike at Maximus, who'd advanced from northern Italy into Illyria. In the summer of 388, two battles were fought, one at Siscia and the other at Potovio. In both of them, pitted against each other, were the main regular Roman regiments from both east and west, together with Maximus's Germanic mercenaries and Theodosius's Gothic federati, who were effectively also mercenaries. Unfortunately, we have almost no details about either battle other than Theodosius secured a victory in both. Perhaps his Gothic allies were mainly responsible for this. What we can say is that the Western army certainly sustained casualties that it could ill afford. Maximus fled to the legionary fortress at Aquileia, where he was betrayed by his men, surrendered and was executed by Theodosius. Thus ended the First Civil War. Theodosius would have to face another one, and an even more dangerous one in 392, which we will cover in the next episode. But for the moment, he triumphed and he moved to Milan. There he encountered the fiercely independent Bishop Ambrose. Although Theodosius was committed to the Nicene Creed, and as such had actually issued an edict condemning the Arians called the Edict of Thessalonica in 380, he and Ambrose fell out over a peculiar incident that took place again in Thessalonica in April 390. The story goes that in that year, the Gothic commander and governor of the city, called Butheric, arrested an extremely popular charioteer for the alleged rape of a cup-bearer. This act of homosexuality was apparently particularly repugnant to the Goths, but not to the Greek population of the city, who were indignant that their favourite charioteer had been punished in this way. So they rioted, demanding the charioteer's release. When Butheric refused, he was lynched by the mob. Theodosius reacted angrily to the news of this disturbance and authorised the garrison, which may have been mainly Gothic soldiers, but we don't actually know for sure, to enter the Hippodrome and restore order. But things got out of hand, and the soldiers were said to have killed 7,000 of the spectators. When Ambrose heard of the incident, he condemned Theodosius for ordering the garrison to restore order in such a brutal manner, and refused to grant him communion for eight months as a penance. During that time, Theodosius had to attend church without his imperial robes. Now, you may well be wondering how on earth a bishop like Ambrose, even as popular as he was, managed to cow an emperor like Theodosius into such a humiliating position. 
The historian Edward Gibbon used it as an example of how the early Christian church triumphed over the Roman emperors and subjected them to its will. He then suggested this was one of the reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire. However, modern historians now wonder whether this whole incident ever actually took place and whether it was in fact just made up by an overzealous bishop called Theodoret of Cyrus, whose account of it is the only evidence we have of the story. Whatever the truth, there's no doubt that in future centuries, the Christian church used it as the first example of the church gaining authority over the state, something that was to become a source of perennial conflict during the Middle Ages as popes and kings fought for secular power. But back to 4th century Rome, whatever view we take of Ambrose of Milan, Theodosius was clearly struggling with problems both externally and internally. Externally, there was of course the new power of the Goths, the threat of Persia in the east, and the endless conflict with the German tribes along the Rhine frontier. But internally, he was also having to deal with civil war and the growing independence of the Christian church. The storm clouds were gathering over the Roman Empire. And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, of course, I'd be delighted for any ratings or reviews in whichever podcast app you use. And just to let you know, the next episode will be in two weeks' time, when we'll continue with Theodosius's reign. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>